Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. So that's one problem. The second is getting hung up, the other bank of all this is getting hung up on the spiritual lesson, which leads to endless discussion, but no actual practical serving. People become experts on what it would look like to serve and what it would feel like to serve and what they can tell you everything about serving, but they never serve. In today's broadcast, we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, A New Commandment. We begin today by considering the ramifications of Jesus washing the apostles' feet, and then we complete John chapter 13, starting in verse 18, as we consider John's recollection of the Last Supper. So let's listen in. And say, well, we gotta wash feet. Jesus said, wash feet. No, he said, do what I've done to you, and that's serve and take that service um, seriously. The other thing, another reason, well, there are other, many others, but why we don't do foot washings uh, is, is because, well, when we sit at a table, we're, we usually sit with our shoes on and we sit with our feet on the floor. And, and when they sat, they reclined at a U-shaped table that was only about a foot and a half to two feet high. So, so it was not just possible, but probable that because of the way the table's configured and in the way you would lean on one elbow, you'd eat with the other hand. So you could lean this way and, and converse with this guy. You could lean that way, but one way or another, your feet are going the other direction. And so people were eating and there were dirty feet at the table. Um, I don't have to say, that's like gross, you know? And I'm sure it was gross to Jesus, but even more troubling that not one of them was willing to do what only he was willing to do. And that's say, hey, we really need to get our feet cleaned here. Fellas, come on over, let me wash your feet. Why wouldn't they? To do it would be an admission that they were the last, the least, the less. And they don't want to admit that. They're arguing constantly about which of them will be the greatest. It's hard to make your case for greatest in the kingdom of God when you're a foot washer. So that's one problem. The second is getting hung up. The other bank of all this is getting hung up on the spiritual lesson, which leads to endless discussion, but no actual practical serving. People become experts on what it would look like to serve and what it would feel like to serve and what they can tell you everything about serving, but they never serve. And so if it's this simple, here's what it looks like today. If you've never served, ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? Better, because you know you're going to do that, but then you'll be like, well, I didn't hear anything, so maybe he'll tell me tomorrow. No, here, here's, here's even better. When you get home and there's a bunch of dishes in the sink, you know, you don't have to ask your wife, would you like me to clean those for you? If they're in the sink, she'd like you to clean them. If there's anyone in the house who does that job all the time, someone volunteers to do it, it's like, oh my gosh, thank you. And then you're like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. Yeah, you did it once. Then you, then, then you find out you're not that awesome. But the, the point is, if you want to bless your wife, wash the toilet. And you're like, the toilet? <laughs> I don't want to wash toilets. Who wants to wash toilets? Who thinks that's the greatest job in the world? Or No one. But... Who wants to live in a house with dirty toilets? No one. So somebody's got to do the job. And it turns out most of us can't hire servants, so someone at home's got to do the work. And so in any case, we want to avoid these extremes. We don't want to get hung up on the example and, well, we foot wash in our church and like, to what end? And then we don't want to get hung up on the spiritual lesson and not have it lead to actual serving. Remember Mary 
two weeks back, she sacrificed Lazarus sat, which was a pretty big deal since he'd been dead and buried four days, now resurrected. And Martha was serving. And I mentioned then that something was missing in her serving. And the missing thing was she wasn't comparing or complaining. Earlier, she'd been guilty of both. And I do want to say, if you're going to serve or you're already serving, don't compare yourself with other people. Not because I say it, because God's word says those who compare themselves with one another aren't wise. So be wise and don't compare. It's not how am I doing compared to him or how am I doing compared to her or them? No, it's just, am I serving? Because the Lord's going to say, well done, good and faithful what? Servant. Yeah, we know. We're expecting to hear that in heaven. I wonder if it will sound right if we've never served. So our opportunity, by the way, to service now and here. And so I, I want to say in all honesty, if, if, if you're serving and you're comparing, that will lead to complaining. And if you're complaining, well, that's going to make people uncomfortable around you who are serving as well. And so if you're complaining in your service, but what I don't want you is to think, well, okay, I understand. I should just not serve. No, you should stop complaining and serve. You should repent and serve. Why? Because if you've started serving, you're actually on the road the Lord set for you. Or you're in the river. You're floating downstream with him. And he says, hey, here's some work we got to do. We got to paddle through these rapids or we're going to go over. Well, anyway, fourth thing, we worship, we study, we work alongside people with tangible needs. And everyone needs to be valued. Everyone needs to be loved. Everyone needs to be encouraged. Everyone needs to hear the truth spoken in love. So if you see a need, meet it. Opportunities abound. Jesus, and you can verify this by reading the Gospels, he served 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, I know he slept sometime, but when he wasn't sleeping, he was serving, praying, teaching, ministering, always giving, never taking. Finally then, the fifth thing to avoid or make sure we put into to practice is, is, is to realize that Jesus served from beginning to end. So serving can't be a stepladder to more visible or desirable ministry. But in the serving we do, God opens doors of opportunity that we would have never had otherwise. We see this in Stephen. He's the first recorded Christian martyr in the book of Acts. And, and he was chosen with some others because of his good character and his faithfulness and, and, and his spiritual maturity to simply wait tables and take care of the distribution of food to widows. It was a menial task, probably well beyond his potential, but he just engaged in it fully. And the Lord used that to open doors of opportunity. And he was so bold when the doors opened that the same people who saw to it that Jesus was crucified, stoned Stephen to death. His witness was so powerful. They're like, we are not going to listen to this guy. We're not going to let anyone else listen to him. They stoned him to death. And like his Lord who prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Stephen prayed, God, don't lay this sin on their account. Don't put this sin to their charge. Well, we continue then as we press on into verses 18 through 30 with Jesus identifying his betrayer and Judas sealing his fate. I do not speak, he says, concerning all of you. I know who I've chosen and that the scriptures may be fulfilled. 
He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. He's forewarning them. And you've heard it, forewarned is forearmed. He says, I'm telling you some things that have to happen. You're not gonna like them, but when they happen, you'll remember that I told you ahead of time. So you won't be caught off guard. You won't be freaking out. You'll just be like, he warned us. And he says, I'm doing it that you may believe. I say most assuredly, verse 20, that he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And this latter part of this chapter, we get two pictures, one of a betrayer and one of a denier. And we want to make sure absolutely we're never the first and we want to do everything we can to never end up being the second. But the first, there's no recovering from. And so he says, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. And there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. This is John's designation of himself. Like Jesus liked to call himself the son of man, though he's the son of God and God the son. He liked that title, the son of man. So, so here's the thing. We kind of have a similar picture here because, because as, as he's speaking, John says that the one whom Jesus loved, it's great to know that he knew Jesus loved him, but you need to know that he loves you the same way. It's not a boast to say, hey, Jesus loves me so much. He died for me. He died for my sin, was buried and rose again. And early on, God gave me some, some thoughts and I put them into to music and, 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 and one just said, if you were the only one, he'd still give his only son to suffer and die for you. It's so important that we get this. He loves the world, but then he loves the church and, and, and it's the family of God, the fellowship of the saints. And then he loves the individuals in the church. He loves every person on planet earth, but he has a special love for those who draw near to him. And that's John. I picture him sort of like a, a really cool puppy. He just always wants to be at Jesus' feet and leaning on him and leaning into him. And that's what he's doing here. Peter sees that John has that privileged seat. He motions to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke, leaning back on Jesus' breast. See, wherever Peter was sitting, that couldn't happen for him. And, and it's not because Jesus didn't love him or because he would deny him. It was because John needed that place and Jesus loved John the way John loved Jesus and more. Well, Peter motions, find out who it is. And, and so he leans on Jesus' breast and John says, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread. When I've dipped it, having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot the son of Simon. This, by the way, is an act of friendship and fellowship. When you broke bread with someone, you were acknowledging you're one with them, that you care for them. There's a, a picture in the breaking of bread and the sharing and that the same bread that nourishes me is nourishing you. But to dip it in the sop and give it, it's like raising the bar. He's saying, I, I still love you. I, I, I still care about you. He's reaching out in friendship, knowing Judas is about to betray him. 
And I'm so grateful that among the many things Jesus has called friend of sinners is on the list. Because he's not just willing to save and have us serve, be our Lord and master. He wants to be friends, to fellowship, to hang out. And if he'll hang out with well, Judas and even Peter, he would certainly want to hang out with us. After the piece of bread, verse 27, horrific. Satan entered him. I mentioned earlier, up to this point, Judas had been a free agent. Everything he did up to this point, he did of his own volition. Oh yeah, Satan could whisper in his ear, he accused Mary, he's the accuser of the brethren, but that's the work of Satan. He'll betray Jesus. That's the work of Satan. He will be a part and a, play a part in Jesus ending up on a cross. But up to this point, he was making all his own decisions. Once Satan entered into him, now Satan has total control of him. And it's one thing to be oppressed by Satan. It's very different to be possessed by Satan. Well, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately and it was night. Satan's influence, formerly external, is now internal. And Jesus said earlier, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? John tells us God is light and in him is no darkness. I think the converse is true as well. That Satan is darkness and in him is no light. And if he's in Judas, how great is the darkness within? It was dark out and it was dark within. So when he'd gone out, verse 31, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little longer and you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, before we read the new commandment, listen, glorified glory, glorified glory. Jesus prays in John that in, in, at one point, he says, Father, I want them to be with me and see the glory I had with you before the world began. He he gave up the glory to live among us. He was still God, but he wasn't omniscient on earth. He wasn't omnipresent, certainly. And he wasn't omnipotent. He said, the works I do, it's the Father working. He, he gave credit to the Holy Spirit, whom he will introduce to us in the next chapter. The way, the truth, and the life, and then the comforter, who is all to us except Savior that Jesus had been to them. Well, he says then, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We all know the greatest commandment. It comes from the Old Testament, by the way. It's not New Testament theology, but it's still true in the new. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The second is like it. Jesus verifying it and bringing them up in answer to those questions. Well, what's the greatest commandment? The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But here we have a new commandment. It's called the royal law. And it's love one another as I've loved you. 
What's different about Jesus' love for us and our love for one another? His love is consistent. It's perfect. It's never based on performance. It's never, it doesn't wane when we disappoint someone or they've discouraged us or when something's gone wrong in the relationship. His love is always the same because it's his very essence and nature. One of the first things I ever heard in Sunday school as a young child is that God is love. That's absolutely true. So he says, I want you to learn to love the way I love. By this, all will know you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. You know, the Beatles sang about it, but they couldn't do it. And my whole generation tried to redefine what love was and, and redefine how it worked. But man, we were so lost and so gone. And, and we have now a perfect demonstration and a perfect revelation of perfect love. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoice in the truth. Love never gives up. Never, love never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. You know, and I've shared before, but some of you are newer. You can insert Jesus' name into that passage and it doesn't read as well. It's even better because it's true. Everything that love is defines Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. I'm sometimes patient and sometimes kind, but he's always patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. And you're sometimes some of those things. Oh, I'm not accusing you of it. I'm just figuring a list this long. We're on it. But Jesus, he's never jealous. He's never boastful. He's never proud. He's never rude. He doesn't demand his own way. He's not irritable. He keeps no record of wrongs. I'm so grateful for that. He doesn't just forgive my sins. He forgets them, having cleansed them. He doesn't rejoice in injustice, but in the truth. Jesus never gives up. He never loses faith. He's always hopeful. He endures through every circumstance. It's so important that we process this reality. I've got to say that, that not one husband here would say today, well, I don't love my wife. Of course, we love them. We married them. And, and, and so here's what we can say, though. I don't always show love to my wife. How do I know? Because when I'm irritable or, or I'm any of those things, you know, it's like I'm, I've been all of them at some point. Rude. It, when, when that happens, Pam doesn't feel loved. And here's the thing. I still love her. I love her when I'm not rude and I love her when I am rude. But she doesn't read rude as loving her and nor do your wives. So again, husbands, we should take the lead in serving. If you've ever wondered, well, how can I be the leader? And if I'm going to be the leader of my household, how will serving make me the leader? You will be an example to everyone in the household that you're just like Jesus, who is Lord. So you can certainly lead and serve, and you can certainly lead and be kind and merciful and keep no record of wrongs. Finally, a couple things to chew on. We are examples as we gather and worship in spirit and in truth to one another. We, 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 I feel it. You feel it. Some of us are more emotional. 
Some of us are more in our heads. You know, some are all feelings. And, but, but whatever happens to you in worship, you should recognize he's here and that something's going on that only happens when his people gather together and worship him in spirit and in truth. We honor our Lord when we magnify and obey his Lord. That's an example to everyone around us. And our impact on others is often the greatest when we're just serving them as unto him. Our ministry to the last, the least, the lost, it's transformative because as we minister as he intended, we're transformed and they're transformed in the process. They see Jesus. They see his love and our actions, our attitudes, our mercy, our forgiveness, our kindness, our faithfulness, our hope, our peace. Matthew 5, 14, and I'll close with this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. Lord, in our heart of hearts, we all want to please you. We all want to become the people you created us to be. We know sin marred the image, but we were made in the image of God. We were made by and for you. Our mission is to, to know you and make you known, to worship at your feet, and then to serve others as a representative of what it means to be in Christ Jesus. So Lord, those of us who would hang our heads in shame if we were asked personally, individually, are you a servant at home? Are you a servant at work? Are you a servant in the fellowship, in the community? Are you a servant at all? Lord, that's a question that we should all just sit at your feet and, and we don't have to ask, we know the answer. And so, Lord, we know what you're saying to us. We understand what you were doing and why you did it and what you want to see come out of it. You so transformed those first disciples, those first apostles, that they changed their world. Without technology and without budgets and without promotion, they just went out and loved and spoke the truth and live for you and serve the people around them. And Lord, I pray that we'll be able to do the same in this, our generation. And we unite in prayer. If there'd be even one person here today who's never given their life to you, but they certainly felt and understood that something different goes on when we lift our voices to you, when we bear our hearts before you, when we open your word, you're treating us as only you can to truth and, and hope and peace and joy and cleansing and fuel and so much more. And if you're here and you've never said, Jesus, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior, forgive my every sin. Today's the day of salvation. Listen, Peter is going to deny the Lord, but he will be restored to the Lord. Unlike Peter, Judas is going to betray the Lord and will never be restored to the Lord. He goes to his own place. Jesus calls him the son of perdition. And that place is anywhere where light isn't and love isn't and hope isn't and peace isn't and Jesus isn't. Who first said it is better to give than to receive? Well, Jesus did. In Acts 20.35, Paul was quoted when he quoted Jesus saying that, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, 
it is more blessed to give than to receive. Friends, understand something. For most people, the flesh is going to tell us that it's better to get something than it is to give something away. It's our natural state. It's our default. And I would be lying if I said that I do not consider how I'm going to benefit from something before I commit to it. I almost always at least consider that. But I would have you think of it this way. Why is it better to give? Well, one of the reasons is the reward. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 and 14 tell us that our work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. It's okay to desire a reward and if you're gonna do that, just be smart and realize which is the greater reward. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.